the Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. We're continuing in our series in James, Steadfast. We're week four now, aren't we? We four? We're five. That's incredible. All right, we're entering into chapter three today. Um, This is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. It is challenging. Um, I love James. He does not mince words. He is very direct, and I really appreciate that about him and about his letter. This, This chapter specifically, it convicts me and it challenges me deeply. Um, And so if any of my ladies who were at our women's retreat, some of this will be really familiar to you. A lot of this I shared there. It's it's something that is really important to me. I know it's important to the heart of God. Um, And so let me pray one more time, and then we'll get started. All right. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the, the body. I'm so grateful for this body of believers and that I get to be a part of, of this, this body. Thank you for the gathering of your saints, Jesus, for time of worship and reading the word together, Lord. Would you open our eyes and open our ears and our hearts to receive from you this morning? Holy Spirit, have your way. May these be your words and that mine would just follow the floor, God. May you be you who speaks this morning. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. All right, let's get into it. James chapter three, verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at also the ships. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. All right, so James has already introduced us to two characteristics of the mature believer. Remember, that's what that word perfect means. It's talking about maturity. And so... In chapter one, the first couple weeks of of, uh, this series, we learned about patience through trial. We learned about the storms of life having their purpose in our lives and, and causing us to be steadfast. We've talked about in chapter two, what Jake talked about last week as a living faith, an active faith, a faith that works. And now James is bringing us into a, a third mark of a mature believer, and that's one that is able to bridle his tongue. It begins with a picture of bit and rudder. It's crazy to me to think about how horses are these, these giant animals. We do not control them and move them about the way that we do a dog. We don't put a collar around their neck and a leash around them. We don't pull them to and from like that. It's crazy to think that these giant beasts are maneuvered by a very small bit that's placed in their mouth. 
And that being in their mouth and then the, the arm of a, a strong and knowledgeable horseback rider is what steers this big animal. And then you think about a ship. Ships are massive. And even, I even think about the fact that in this time, there's not motorized ships. So these, these boats are being steered, even still now, by this tiny rudder at the very back of the ship. That's what's guiding it, keeping it away from the rocks, keeping it on course. And to me, as I was sitting and thinking about that, I really was thinking about these being pictures of how my tongue affects me personally. If I'm the horse, if I'm the ship, those small things being able to guide me. And so I was thinking about where I can get in trouble and where I can kind of steer into the rocks. And maybe a month, month and a half ago, I woke up one morning on the wrong side of the bed and was filled from the get-go with so much anxiety. I don't know if anybody else has experienced that. Like, it's one of those things where I felt like I was on like the precipice and I'm starting to speak out like my anxiety and I'm, I'm all keyed up. And I felt the Lord kind of like, all right, you have a, you have a decision here. And he brought me to Philippians 4, 6 and 7. So let's look at this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. I had a decision to make. I can either give in and start rambling off my anxieties and speaking that into the air and then finding myself being in a knot the rest of the day, or I could choose to start giving thanks. And that's what I started doing, and it felt really forced at first. And I started, I started listing things off, but then as I started doing that, it was the incredible thing of I felt that rudder move me back onto course. I was headed for the rocks, and then as I'm thanking God, He's like bringing up more and more things to my mind and my heart as I'm doing that. And it, it realigned me and the day was fine. It was good, actually. It was, it was filled with joy. Another way that I can find my tongue getting me into trouble is complaining. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I had a season maybe five years ago. I was, I was not in a good space mentally. It's like I walked in the door of my home and I just, I felt it on me. I felt oppressed. I felt my heart just, felt knots. And I was picking at Alex and I'm picking at the kids and I'm just complaining about, woe is me, this house is just, mm. I had so much to say, a laundry list of things to complain about. And I remember there was a night where Alex went and he took Jonah to basketball and they're out of the house and I had, I had, I had it up to here. I was fed up with myself and with feeling like this. And I finally broke and I put on worship, which felt like, it felt like in that season, a real challenge. I didn't want to. I kind of just was in, I was stuck. I put on worship 
And I just started giving it to the Lord. And as I'm doing that, he's bringing this to my mind. Do all things without complaining and disputing. And it dawned on me, gosh, Lord, that's how I found myself here. I've complained and I've moaned. Oh God, forgive me. And as I began to do, as I began to kind of assess that in worship, I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me directly, go and bless this house. And I mean, I probably looked crazy if somebody would have looked in the window, but I, I grabbed a bottle of olive oil and I poured some in my hand and I felt him take me first to the first place where my complaints began my laundry rooms in the garage and it's annoying and it's cold and it was winter. And I went and I stood at the, I stood at the doorway of the, the garage where the laundry room was and I just, I put oil up there and I started, thank you God. Thank you that I even have a washer and dryer. Like I started thanking for the most ridiculous things in my mind. I'm like, I'm thanking the Lord for this. And it, it lifted. I remember standing at the doorway. I'm making my way around the whole entire perimeter of the house. And I got to the doorway, which was always a point of our, our doorway of our closet, our hall closet. It was a point of contention for me because kids' shoes were pouring out of it constantly. And yet nobody was ever able to find their shoes. Don't understand. Where's the match? You have a spot. But I remember standing there and I, I just remember like the Holy Spirit just praying with me. God, thank you for feet that are ready with the gospel of peace. Thank you that my kids love you and they walk with you. Thank you for shoes on our feet, the most practical things. And I'm telling you what, that oppression broke. Like straight up broke. And I'm not telling you I don't have times where I complain and I moan. I mean, we all do, we're human. But that was a season of being in the rocks. A season of me like a wild stallion just off in no man's land. And finally, I... I just, I surrendered to the Lord and I yielded and he brought me back. And that was a way of my tongue being used to bring me back into alignment with God and his heart and his will. All right, continuing on, let's look at James chapter three, verse five. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So now he's giving us a picture of not just how the untamed tongue affects ourselves, but it affects those around us. He's saying in our flesh, our, in, in, in our immaturity, that our tongues have the power to reduce entire forests to ash. I want to look at three and six, uh, or five and six, sorry, in the message. I thought it was interesting the way that... Um, Eugene Peterson framed this. <clears throat> a word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. 
A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. I mean, that's true. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. So words kill and they give life. They're either poison or they're fruit and they're nourishing and they're life-giving. We have the power when we open our mouths. Are we blessing or are we cursing? That takes us into verse nine. With it, we bless our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Our words have power. This is why the Lord hates gossip. People that he made in his image. I mean, I want to think about that for a second. We are made in the image of a God who created the entire universe with word, spoken word. He didn't just think, what a great place this would be, and then boom. He spoke the world into being. Genesis chapter 1 says it right there. He spoke, and the world came into being. And Jesus is the word made flesh. He is the living word, John 1, verse 1. Gossip, backbiting, slander, all of these things do not resemble the God of blessing. They resemble the father of lies. But we're fashioned after him. We are called by his name. We are called to carry his banner. We are called to be a people of blessing. And when he's talking about fresh and salt water coming from the same spring, it's, this is a heart issue. You, you don't dig into a spring and sometimes come up with good, fresh, clean water and sometimes it's brackish and it's muddy and it's gross. No, that spring, where is it rooted? So it's a heart issue. Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what I'm rooted in is determining the fruit that I produce. And my speech is a really good barometer for where my heart's at what the condition of my heart is, what the posture of my heart is. The way I'm talking, I need to be keyed into recognizing "Mm, that doesn't look like the heart of God there. Where am I at? Then you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, clean my heart. I love David and I so identify with David saying, clean my heart, Lord, show me where I'm off what we sang this morning, clean my hands and purify my heart. So I want to walk soberly with the knowledge that my words matter. I have the ability to to build someone up or tear them down. God, be it far from us that we be a people who backbite and tear others down. The world has an image of the church that includes that. They're just a bunch of hypocrites who have a lot of nasty things to say about the rest of us. That shouldn't be so. 
The Bible says that he will, the world will know us by our love for one another. Let's be a people of blessing to partner with God in speaking blessing. He's a God of blessing. He's speaking blessing. He's ever speaking love, trying to draw people with love. And we are conduits. We are vessels that he has invited to pour that love to the world, to speak those things. I mean, it's, it's incredible to think that words can build walls or they can tear them down. We sang this morning about every high thing must come down. We have authority in the name of Jesus to speak out against the enemy and he flees. We are aligned with the heart of God. We get to use our mouths to say, uh-uh, not here, no more. I mean, I, there are times that my husband is out doing things. He calls him, man, I have got this thing on my back. I, I'm wrestling with the enemy. Will you pray for me? And I pray for him. We get off the phone. And I, I go into my room. I kid you not. I get in my room and I close the door and I open my mouth audibly and I shout out, not today. My husband is covered in the blood of Jesus and I have authority to stand on your neck. You do not get to have any room or any place here. You get away from him you leave in the name of Jesus. He'll call me like an hour later. Man, I feel so good now. I'm like, mm-hmm. Use them. Mm. Telling you what. We can demolish strongholds in the power of our tongue. It's incredible. Wars have been started by the power of the tongue. But also peace Peace has been started by the power of the tongue. We've been called to be carriers of peace. I mean, we live in a time where anxiety and depression is at an all-time high. People are walking around heavy with hard things that they're walking through. We have to be sensitive to that. We got to be sensitive. People are carrying their own things. We don't want to add to it. We want to alleviate it. We want to wrap our arms around people. To have eyes, even as we're walking through the grocery store, going about our business, our eyes are up. God, who can I bless today? We were, we were driving. This, I'm telling you, this is, not, this is not a tooting of my own horn. It was a, as I'm coming to the Lord, God, help me get better at this. Alex and I, wasn't planning on sharing this. Alex and I were uh, driving. We had an opportunity around Christmas time to leave the kids, go do some shopping. And as we were driving back, um, we saw a woman just walking with her grocery bags on a main road. She's just walking. I mean, you see that often, but something just stood out about her. I was like, do you see that lady? Yeah. Looked like she was maybe carrying something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like maybe 30 seconds. I'm like, so about that lady, he goes, you want me to turn around? It's like, yes. <laughs> we got to turn around. We turn around. Jesus, if this is you. Help us see her. She had gone off and we spotted her. I just ran out of the car. It's like, hey, ma'am. Don't know how freaked out she was by that. Hey, I just want to tell you, we drove by you and just saw you and just felt such an impression to tell you, Jesus sees you and man, he loves you. And her eyes just filled with tears. Wow. 
thank you. Thank you. I'm like, yeah, you are seen and you are loved by God. I just want to share that with you today. Thank you. Thank you. And I turned around and I got back in the car and he goes, you didn't see it. You turned around. She was beaming. Like, awesome. I have no idea what, what she's got going on. She could have been having a great day. She could have been having a really crummy day. But the Lord highlighted her. It's like, get out and tell somebody. We all need that. It, it's, there are studies that show that for every negative comment, every critique, there needs to be six comments of encouragement. We need to be lavish with our encouragement for people. Isn't that God? He lavishes us with love. He lavishes us. We ought to lavish each other. None of this, like, oh, I don't want them to get a big head. That, like, that is so not the heart of God. I'm telling you, I've heard that. That's the thing. You should go, and tell, you should go tell them after they did a good job or whatever. Well, I don't, want, I don't want to give them a big head or anything. I'm sorry. We're all walking around with the enemy of our souls whose mouth is constantly wagging, his tongue's burnt out, and he's constantly speaking lies to all of us. We have plenty that is telling us, you're not good enough. We need to look each other in the eyes and say, you are good. you're doing a good job. You are loved, you are seen, you are not alone. How can I pray for you? You look great today. Sometimes that's just, man, I need to hear that today, thank you. Simple things. Let's, let's have, have eyes that are looking for, how can I bless somebody? How can I speak life? Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Let's be lavish with good word. Um, there's a story. This was probably... Oh, Sophia's getting ready to turn 10, so it was probably five years ago. We were at the beach, and um, we were on a trip with his dad to the beach, Alex's dad, and um, there, was a, there was a lot of storms that week. But that first night, it was probably 2 o'clock in the morning, there was a storm right on top of the condo, and it's, just, it's shaken. It's shaken the whole entire condo. And pretty quickly after that first real big thunderclap, I hear the girls just wailing in their room. Sophia's like five. And I walk in there and, I mean, they're just hysterical. Anxiety ridden for sure. <clears throat> and for some reason, I mean, it was the Lord. What came to me as I'm trying, I'm, I'm, it's okay, it's okay, it's just a storm. The Lord brought to memory a a lullaby that Christy Knuckles wrote around that time. Um, and the lyrics, I just start singing it over them. No explanation, just start singing. Let the thunder roll, and I won't be afraid because you roll the thunder. Let the wind be hard upon my roof, and I'll dance to its rhythm. Let the wind blow between the oak trees, and I'll let you steady me because you're right here in the whisper of my heart. They fell asleep in the midst of me singing that. And what was amazing, and I have a picture of this in our house. 
the rest of the week, the storms didn't, they didn't go away. They were heavily upon us on that trip. From that point on, Sophia was not afraid. And I have a picture of her at the, at the shoreline and a giant thunderhead above her. And she was going like this, the way I worship. <laughs> she was just going like this at the waves and it's thundering. We we'll probably need to get back inside. But like, <laughs> and I get a little closer to get this picture because I couldn't, you can't hear over the, the sound of the waves. I'm just like, my girl's not afraid. And then as I got closer and bent down to take the picture, I heard her and she was worshiping. She's singing that song. She's singing other songs to Jesus. And it just was this beautiful picture of like, man, a good word, worship. It lifts our heart. We can face the storms of life. Let's go back to the text. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The mature believer knows when to open his mouth and when to keep it closed. That's that meekness of wisdom. Keyed into the Lord in his heart. Know when to keep my mouth shut. I don't need to have all the answers. I don't need to have it my way. I don't need to prove my point. Uh, David says this in Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. That's wisdom. I know my flesh. If I open my mouth and my flesh, nothing good's going to come from it. Holy Spirit, set a guard over my lips. Help me know when to talk, when to, when to speak up, when to keep my mouth quiet. And this is what James already said in chapter one, right? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's that. It's the wisdom that the Holy Spirit, he wants to do that in and through us. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. David again in uh, Psalm 39, verses 1 and 3. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. My heart became hot within me as I mused the fire burned and then I spoke with my tongue. When I feel jealous and I feel selfish ambition and I need to exert myself in my way. Have you ever felt that? You're having a conversation with somebody and they're just wrong. And you just feel your heart just beating out of your chest. I gotta tell them. That's probably a good indicator. That's not the Holy Spirit saying, you need to say something. Probably not. Probably wisdom means that's an indicator that I should be quiet. Come back to God, cry out, God created me a clean heart. Because what we sow in anger 
and strife and jealousy, we're not gonna be pleased with the fruit. Life and death and the power of the tongue, those who love it will eat of its fruit. What am I sowing in? Actually, James continues with that, that idea. In verse 17, he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's even a picture to me that that harvest, that harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. That's even a good picture to me of forgiveness. My husband does a really good job of this. I don't. He's very quick to come and say, hey, that wasn't right of me. I'm sorry. I can be so stubborn there. God, clean my heart. Let me sow in peace. Let me make peace. Let this be a filter for my speech. Is, is the real that's going through my head, is it peaceable? Is it pure? Is it merciful? Is it sincere? It's the whatever is good and true and lovely. Think on these things. Speak on these things. Let that be the filter. Because my words are seeds. And whatever, and in whatever way I sow in them, there will be a harvest. And that harvest will either be one of death or of life. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in us. Let that be what my heart is rooted in. Therefore, that's the fruit. That I'm rooted in the word of God. What he says about life and about people, about me. My self-talk doesn't need to be just a reel of criticism. That's not godly either. Humility is actually seeing yourself the way that you are not seeing yourself as less than, not seeing yourself higher than either. But who we are as children of God is redeemed and fully loved and there's nothing I can do to make him love me any more or any less. So even my own speech in my head about who I, how I see myself, that needs to be redeemed. Be in line with the word of God. Let it dwell in us richly. I, we took our kids to Disney World in September and it was so delightful to me. Uh, we wrote all the things. I was proud of all of our kids. All our kids were like, Silas was just shy of six and then Jenna was 10. So all the kids were able to write all the things. It was wonderful, but I'm telling you, there were some rides that we got up to and like, Silas turned around at the last second. His eyes are like as big as saucers. And he's like, mm -mm, mm -mm. and he'd like bury himself into me. He's like, mommy, I don't want to. I was like, come on, buddy. We've been in this line for an hour. <laughs> we can do this. We can do this. But every single time it was so delightful. He, he'd, I'd pick him up and he'd be like, mommy, can we sing scripture? I was like, 
yes, yes, we can. And we had been in, in our schooling, we had been going through Psalm 8. He's like, we're gonna sing, oh Lord, oh Lord. It's like, okay. It was so hysterical. The, kid, the other kids, like, if we were in the back, they'd turn around, like, be looking at him. He's, like, white-knuckling it. He's going, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? He's, like, we're, like, zooming at 50 miles an hour, like. And then he'd get off, and he's, like, oh, let's do it again. It was awesome. The word of Christ dwelling in him richly. Man, he's, he's six. He's not going through all the reasoning and the pros and cons and talking to himself. He just held on to the simplicity of the word. It didn't even have anything to do with fear. It's just, I'm hiding myself in God's word. And it helped. That um, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, it takes me to Paul and Silas in the prison. We know the story. But I love that the word says that it's when they began to sing that the walls just cried those doors opened. It was upon them singing. The gathering of the body, it is so good for so many reasons. But when we sing together, the enemy trembles. This is important. There are lots of times that I come in and I'm like, feel heavy. All right, Lord, that rudder, get me back in line, and we worship. And then leave is like, oh man, I could have done that all day long. It's just, y'all feel that too, right? It's good to be in the house of the Lord and sing together. It's good to do that in life group. It's good to do that in the car with your kids and your family. It's good to do it by yourself. But man, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs being on our lips. I'm going to end with this. And this is a personal story. I'm going to start with this scripture. Proverbs 16, verse 24. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Honey is pretty incredible because not only does it make things taste good, but it's also an antiseptic. It's healing. Um... I, going on 20 years ago, I remember getting a phone call and somebody that I had trusted had told me, your words don't matter, I do not believe in you. It was like, we, was not a dating relationship, but it was, it was like a friend breakup. And it was one of those things that even like 12 years later, like you wake up and the enemy is just using that in the middle of the night, like, yeah, remember when they said that? It's like it just, it was always on the peripheral. Your words don't matter. I don't believe in you. And Alex, my sweet husband, when I turned 30 five years ago, he, he had planned like this really sweet surprise birthday party. And we get there and it's sweet and it's exciting and it's fun. And at, at one point in the evening, he had said, all right, guys, I, I want to change course. Can we sit, can we bless my wife with our words? Can we pray over her? Can we encourage her? It's like the best birthday present I could have ever had. Those, that word, those words of affirmation. But I will never forget 
Diane Spencer looked at me and she said, I want to tell you, your words matter. And it was a direct, just bomb to that thing. Like I had, I had experienced in a very specific way the tongue being used to set a fire. And I still had plenty of that forest that was burned down. Even though there were good things that had grown up and that voice still was there. And she said, your words matter. And it just was a direct salve put on that wound. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. They're sweet and they're healing. And Jesus wants to use us to heal a hurt world. We all walk around with those wounds. We've experienced them. Even if you, you're healed from them, you know. I mean, I can, that whole sticks and stones stuff, that's such craziness. When has that ever been true? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Like that, that's such junk. We all can think back to things, even when we were children, of so-and-so said that to me. That was mean. That stuck with me. Because words are also a scaffolding for us, for our identity. And we're walking around in a hurt and dying world, and Jesus wants to give life. His name is like honey on our lips. Let us speak his life and his blessing over one another and the people we meet. Let us seek him for opportunities to use our tongue to speak truth and love and blessing. So Jesus, thank you that you are a God of blessing. Thank you for speaking life over us and into us, Jesus. God, we yield to you and ask that you would speak freely through us words of encouragement, words of affirmation, that we would not use our words carelessly and cause a spark that causes a forest to burn down, but that we would actually ignite that torch, carrying a torch that goes into the dark and draws people to your light, Lord. Let our words be healing salve like honey, Lord. May you be your praise ever be on our lips, Jesus. Be glorified in and through us, in our action, in our word and our deed, God. We love you, and in your name we pray, amen.